Well, have you ever uh, had a random flashback in your life? Like, what was that? I had one of those recently, and I was thinking back about um, the house that we lived in when I was in seminary, and uh, it was quite an interesting home. Uh, it was in North Carolina, and I tell you, uh, a Florida boy as I am, I wasn't used to the icy uh, rains and the icy winds that would come in the wintertime, and I can swear to you that that house did not have any insulation in it at all. I mean, we froze to death the three and a half years that we were there. We woke up one summer morning, and we were just um, drenched in sweat. We were like hot, and we had realized that when we had gotten up that morning that the air conditioning system had gone out. So I kind of putzed around a little bit and, you know, do what we guys do. I thumped the uh, thermostat a little bit. I played with it. I kind of looked in a vent, you know, trying to act like I knew what I was doing to impress my wife. And finally, I just said, listen, we're, we're just not going to figure this out. We better call the trustees and have them come over and, and tell us who we're supposed to call to fix this thing. Well, Howard Kidd was one of our uh, trustees, and Howard came by, and he walked inside and he said, uh, your air conditioner's not working, is it, Bob? And I said, well, no, Howard, it's not. Well, is that why you called me out here? And I said, yeah, it is. He's from North Carolina, so he kind of had that twang. And he said, uh, I said, well, Howard, we better call like a service out here. He says, nope, nope. He said, follow me. I think I know how to fix this. So we went outside. We went to the bottom of the house by the basement, and there was the outdoor unit there. And Howard picked up the biggest stick I've ever seen. And he swung and took a whack and hit that thing, cattywampus right in the center, and it started working again. And he said, I'm no engineer, Bob, but I know how to hit things, and I know how to make them work. And it did. Well, I was thinking this week about that story because uh, there are times in our lives that I think that, that God hits us, not with a stick, uh, but that God hits us and that uh, he hits our heart or uh, he hits a place in our life or he hits uh, something that's going on around us or with us and it calls our attention into a greater way about where God wants us to be. And I, I tell you that because that's how God works. God just touches us and nudges us and moves us in ways sometimes we are least expecting. But here's the promise that I know that God gives us. If we contemplate, if we pray, if we worship, if we are um, striving to get into God's word to becoming a better disciple, and that is by being in a deeper relationship with God, then God's promise is that through all of that, through that experience, that we will have blessings immeasurable. Doesn't mean that life won't have a challenge, but it means that we will feel God's blessing the closer we strive to be to God. Would you believe, do you believe that? Yes? Yeah, I, I truly believe that. And it's time, though, to uh, we see those things and we realize that, that uh, God places that as a way of calling to our attention. You know, it's a time for us to look ahead. It's a time for us to, to be um, moving forward in a way in the direction of our church to a, a deeper understanding. And that's why, as we've been talking in this All In series, I've been trying to give you some statistical data. I've been trying to give you some real-world things for us to think about as we live here at 1199 Highland Avenue here in Largo, Florida. And it's been trying to get us to have the opportunity and the idea to understand that, that the world around us changes, not just globally, not just nationally, not just via our state, but here even in our local community. And the question becomes, how will we relate to that? How will we, um, how will we get into that? And, and as a church, we're encouraged to find our sweet spot. 
Now, I asked one of our resident golf pros here at St. Paul this last week. I asked her and I said, what is a sweet spot? And here's what she told me, and I hope I get this right. I'm not a golfer, but, but she is. She said, she said, it's that place on the head of the club that, that is that perfect place that when the ball meets that place with the club, that the ball is going to go in a great direction, that that's the sweet spot, that that's the place where the club is the most well-balanced, and that is the place where you want to be golfing from. And you want to hit that. So if that's the case when it comes to golfing, when it comes to us as a church, we want to operate in our sweet spot. And that sweet spot is that we want to be lovers and sharing the love of Jesus Christ in our homes, our schools, our community, and the places that are all around us. And if we're faithful in doing that, God promises to bless the work in which we are embarking. Uh, there was a man whose name was Hezekiah. And Hezekiah is mentioned in the Old Testament. He's actually in the second uh, book of Kings. And Hezekiah uh, aspired and became the king at the age of 25. And he was the kind of king that, that truly was after God's um, mandates. He was, he was wanting to live and walk within the love of God. And Hezekiah did a lot of things to clean up a lot of the idolatry and a lot of the things that were happening within their community there in Israel. And Hezekiah was moving the people to have a deeper relationship with God. And the scripture says that he did everything that was pleasing in the sight of God. Let me take you to, Hez uh, to 2 Kings 18, and we'll look at verses 5 uh, through 7. It says here that Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, and there was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord, and he did not cease to follow him. He kept the commands that the Lord had given Moses, and the Lord was with him. So it says because he kept God's commands that God was with him. And I think there's a great parallel for us to understand. Uh, when we keep God's commands, this is not just the rules, so to speak, but when we keep God's commands, remember last week I told you that there were two specific things that Jesus calls all of his churches to do, to live in. What was that? I said we're to love the Lord God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our strength, and we're to what? Love our neighbors as ourselves, the great commandment. And so if we live in that great commandment, like Hezekiah, we will see the blessing that God is bringing upon us as his people. But Hezekiah, things began to change, and eventually he became ill. And he became ill to the point that he was almost near death. And he pleaded, and he cried out, and he wept, and he called upon God to please don't allow his life to end so quickly. And the scripture says that, that God actually gave Hezekiah an additional 15 years of life. And while that happened, during that time, something happened to Hezekiah. He became a little bit um, unfocused. He became a little bit more of straying away from what he and his relationship was with God because he realized that he was going to have 15 more years of life and therefore he began to see life differently. And it was less about walking with God and more about what was right for him and the things that he saw there. And God warned him. God said, your short-sightedness is not going to be a good thing. In fact, because you're straying or because you are moving away from the purpose, the sweet spot that I'm calling you to, that things will happen 
and things will affect future generations. And here's how Hezekiah responded to that. It's out of uh, Isaiah 39, 8. He says, at least there will be peace and security in my lifetime. There'll be peace and security in my lifetime. Now, that verse troubles me. I don't know if it troubles you, but it sure troubles me because it's a very short-sighted way to look at it. Hezekiah was the king. Hezekiah had a responsibility for not just his current people, but the generations of people yet to come, correct? And therefore, all the decisions that the king needed to make were those that needed to focus upon all the future generations. And he was to rally the people of Judah in a place that they would focus solely on that. But yet his short-sightedness says, well, as long as I'm alive... I know that things will be fine. And what troubles me with that was, is he realized that once his death would come, that it didn't matter what happened after that. And, and that really bothers me. And, and I see that as a parallel message for the Christian church today, okay? Not just St. Paul, but all Christian churches. And we have to move beyond that short-sightedness because that short-sightedness says, well, as long as it's okay for me today... There'll be peace and security and all that, but we need to be thinking longer term than that. And, and what it says for that is a message to the church in that we have got to start looking with longer vision than shorter vision. That the church itself needs to be reminded that it has that purpose and it has that mission. Now, through the years, as a lay person, as a clergy person, I've heard People say lots of things, and one of the things that I hear a lot as a lay person and then as a clergy person is I'll hear people who will say in churches, well, as long as you don't change anything or as long as the church doesn't do anything different while I'm alive, that's okay. But when I go, have at it. Do whatever you want. And that's what God was warning Hezekiah about. And I believe that that's what God is warning the Christian church, capital C, today that we have got to be less about us and we have got to be more about the people who have yet to come to know Christ. Last week I shared with you, in a two-mile radius of this campus, 24,000-ish people who have little or no faith affiliation at all. These are folks who aren't in churches. These are folks that aren't even talking about Jesus. These are individuals who might have known Jesus at one time in their life, but they've become disconnected and disenfranchised, or they have felt harmed by the church in some way, and therefore they're just existing in life, doing their own thing. And I reminded us then, as I do now, that Jesus' words then are applicable now, that the harvest is plentiful, but yet the laborers are few. And we, the laborers, need to have a longer vision, a longer view of the places and the things that we are willing to get toward. And I pointed out in the first week that, that we need to tip our hats to our past. We need to celebrate what God has done in the past. We need to celebrate that. We need to not forget that. We need to understand our roots from where we've come. But what we've also uh, learned is that, that Moses said something very important to the Hebrew people as they were moving through their cycle of life, ultimately getting into the promised land. And we find that in the book of Deuteronomy. And here's what Moses says. He said, when the Lord your God um, brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities that you did not build. 
Houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide. Wells that you did not dig. Vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You know, this is, this is really important for us to get here. At the time, Moses is talking to the Israelites, but it, it's just as relevant for us today. When we begin to enjoy all the things that have come to us, we might have a tendency to forget how hard of work it is to make a difference. We might just stand on our own laurels. We might just say, well, we've always had this, or, or look what uh, the folks before us have given to us. But it requires us, it requires we who are in this generation now to take that extra measure and that extra steps and not to forget what God has done and what God and how God has blessed. Looking back gives us an opportunity to learn one day, the disciples were complaining that they had no food. And um, they had like one loaf that was inside of a, a bow of a boat. And this was well after Jesus had fed the 5,000. And they were complaining to Jesus, we don't have enough food. We don't have enough food. What are we going to eat? What are we going to do? And then in Mark's gospel, chapter 8, here's what Jesus says. He said, why are you so worried about having no food? Won't you ever learn to understand? Are your hearts too hard to take it in. You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? What about the 5,000 men that I fed with five loaves of bread? How many basketfuls of leftovers did you pick up afterwards? And I can imagine when Jesus said that, that the disciples sheepishly looked at him and said, 12? And then Jesus says again, he says, and I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves. How many more large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven. And, and what we learned from that is that, that God provides the abundance. And we need to trust in that. And we need to remind ourselves that God is the source of all things. You know, one of the greatest things that I struggle with as a person is I always want to do everything in my own strength. I'm making an honest confession this morning. That's, that's just me. I want to do it in my own strength. You know, I want, to, I want to get it done. I want to work hard. I want to make sure that whatever I'm putting my mind to or my abilities to, that it's successful for the greater good. And I would rather take on something myself than give it to someone else. Not, and, and I hope it's not ego, but it's just that one thing. Well, if it's got to get done, then just let me do it. I don't know if there's any other people here this morning that are like that. I know what I'm like. And I've come to understand and realize in those moments that you just can't do it yourself. As a church, we can't do it ourselves. It requires God to do it with us. It requires God's blessing. It requires God's grace. It requires God's resources that are within us. It requires all of those things. And that is the lesson that we have to learn in the 21st century because we just don't have people driving into churches anymore across this country. We have to go where they are and we have to touch them in the name of Christ. See, on a personal level, 
We also realize the places that we used to be, and we, and we like those places. And, 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 you know, we would have stayed there had it not been for God. And we might still be there, just, but just remember, as it's been long said, that, that the past is a good guidepost, but it's not meant to be a hitching post. We're not supposed to stay stuck in our past. And I tell you, uh, being a Christian leader in the 21st century, one of the most frustrating things that I go through in my life is trying to figure out how we as the church, capital C, and St. Paul, how we have to figure out how to impact the world in a different way. Creatively, relationally, generationally. And I haven't figured it out yet. I'm sorry, I haven't. But I know that if we work together, we will. And we'll figure it out together, and God will bless that in a powerful way. It's also our job as a church to stay focused on unity. Paul says this in Ephesians, always keep yourselves united in the Holy Spirit and bind yourselves together with peace. You know, we're all on the same team. And if you ask any coach who's worth their medal, the coach will tell you, that in order for a team to be successful is they have to do what? They have to work together. They can't have half the group working for the solution and another half being, um, uh, you know, not worried about it. They, they, we've got to work together. And coaches will tell you that we have to do that. Unity isn't just one more thing that we think about. Unity has to be part of our daily decisions. We have to wake up every morning and decide, I will be united in my family, I will be united in my marriage, I will be united in my vocation, I will be united in my uh, faith in Christ, I will be united as a person who's all in in their church. And that's a decision that we have to make every day. It requires all of us. In the uh, 2000 Olympics, the U.S. team was the team to beat in the women's 4x400 uh, relay race. If you looked at all the statistics, they would tell you that was the team to beat. In fact, a lot of the runners of the other countries didn't even want to get on the same track with our, our, our ladies' team because they thought, well, it's just horrible. Why should we even try to, to run against them? But as they began to run and as they were running that race, they were slated to win. Something terrible happened. What do you think happened? They dropped the baton. And when you drop the baton, you're disqualified. You've got to know that there's no way that you can win when you drop the baton. You can have all the promises in the world, but if you don't take what you've been given and pass it on to the next person in line, you'll never win. In the grand scheme of things, this isn't about just your life, it isn't just about my life, but it's about passing the baton from generation to generation, that we are called to pass it to the next generation. And we are called to pass to the next generation an extremely healthy Christian church. And that's why some of these hard decisions that we have to make in our leaders, lay leaders as well, when they have to make these decisions, they're difficult. But they realize that as part of the team that we've got to finish the race strong and that we have to set ourselves up for God's victory in the end. While we're at it, we also need to make sure that we're encouraging people. You know, that's one of the greatest things that a local church can do is to encourage people who are down 
encourage people who have uh, no way of understanding what joy can be in their life. And you and I are called to be encouragers, and we're called that when their enthusiasm is dampened, we are called to lift them up. We are called to build them up. We are called to affirm them. And as we look ahead at that, at our future, in Christendom, as we look ahead in our future as St. As Paul United Methodist Church, you know, we, don't, we never know what's going to happen tomorrow, but we have some certainties because the Bible tells us what those certainties are. The Bible says that we can be certain that God loves us and that God will never leave us. The Bible says we can be certain that we can offer and receive forgiveness when we sin. The Bible tells us that, that we can um, be certain that if we humble ourselves before God, that we will become a new creation. We see the truths that come with that and that God will lift us up. So this morning as we talk about sweet spot, as we talk about being all in, I dare you, I dare you to make a new commitment. We started that last week. I dare you to be excited about your faith. I dare you to say, I'll do whatever it takes to, to introduce the love of Jesus Christ to someone else. I dare you to be like me and let's move outside of this building and, and, and meet people who are outside of the building rather than just in. I dare you to be excited about what's happening in your church, that you're specifically invitational. And the only way that people will come to your church, the only way they'll come to our church, guess what? It's because we've personally invited them. 80% of the people who attend churches say for the first time that they come because someone personally invited them. So you and I need to understand it begins with us. It's not just the pastors. It begins with us. And with Jesus Christ as our leader and with Christ as our Lord, we can do everything that is needed to transform the life, not only of this local church, but our community around us. God calls us to be all in, and he calls us to begin today to live that kind of transformed life.